Hi, my name is Ben Atkinson and welcome to the Functional Health Podcast. I interview some of the leading voices in nutrition and lifestyle medicine and I will share with you their stories, their expertise and their advice, shedding light on the industry from each of their perspectives to help improve your health from today. This week, I'm delighted to share with you my conversation with Professor Robert Thomas. Rob is a consultant oncologist and professor of sports and biological medicine and is returning to the show to talk about his new book, How to Live, the groundbreaking lifestyle guide to keep you healthy, fit and free of illness, which is published by Short Books. So without further ado, Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ben. It's always a pleasure. So we're talking about your recent book, How to Live. Very exciting. Reaching a number one bestseller in four categories on Amazon. What was your inspiration behind writing How to Live? I think everyone's got a book in them at one stage. I hope this is mine and maybe more to come. But the underlying uh, reason was I've been writing medical papers for over 20 years now uh, on the research we conduct in our lifestyle unit. Uh, Most of those go to doctors. But really, I'm interested in trying to influence behavior in the patients I see on a daily basis and and the general public. Uh, I'm not totally convinced that the research papers are actually reaching out to that population. So more recently, we've tried to work with charities, looking at their patient information materials and writing in more lay journals, such as Cycling Weekly and Nutritionist magazines, etc. But of course, the, the best way to influence the public is, is to write, uh, write a book, because they're still you know, very well read. People like reading books. And you've got the time and the space to really say what you want to say. So it's quite a nice experience for me to, to be able to expand the research we've done and the research we've read about as, as part of background for our trials. So you know, hopefully if it's, if it's popular, it will influence people to change or influence their lifestyle for the, for the better. And that's certainly the motivation behind it. And you can write it in a more lay way to, to, so it's more convincing and understanding, I hope. How is the book different from other diet and lifestyle books? Um, well, you, you, you're right. There's a lot of self-help books out there, and I've read quite a few of them. Um, and a good comparison would be the book um, How Not to Die, which I suppose is a similar type of uh, category uh, written by a doctor, which you know, looks at certain lifestyle factors, particularly food, which reduces your risk of um, a fatal illness. But what we're trying, or what I'm trying to achieve in this book is, is, you know, how to live, how to not only reduce the risk of getting um, life-threatening diseases, but how to improve your uh, feeling of well-being on a daily basis. So how to reduce your levels of fatigue, how to sleep better, how to avoid being on medications which have side effects. And these medications might be, say, for blood pressure, uh, raised cholesterol, arthritis, all of which cause symptoms in themselves and affect how a person lives on a daily basis. Um, so I think the sort of emphasis is different. The other thing is, you know, I'm an NHS doctor, so I see, you know, 30 or 40 patients a day. I listen to their problems and I listen to what they can and can't do and their realistic ability to change um, barriers to, to lifestyle. So hopefully it's, it's, it's real. It's not trying to set up a, or advise a lifestyle which is unachievable. I suppose I'm different to other 
um, doctors and oncologists because I'm also a professor of sports and nutrition in a local university. Therefore, we actually do design the studies which many people quote in their books. So you're actually hearing it from the horse's mouth. And when you design a study, uh, you really have to understand the background uh, before you know getting ethical approval and, and getting patients to go into it. So you, um, you have to see the gaps in the knowledge which already exists. And uh, hopefully those gaps have been filled in partially by our research, and this is portrayed in, in, in the book. And the third thing is, from my experience, if people want to go through the hardship of changing their lifestyle most people want to understand why they want to know if what they're doing is is really correct and i think we've um got it or i've got it right in this book so um not only that they i think feel the right the advice is accurate but the explanation of why so we want to look at what uh, the biological pathways in the body and how lifestyle affects those pathways and then um, how those pathways then influence disease which makes it a little bit heavy in places but when people get it they're so much more likely to say well I'm going to you know eat more nuts or I'm going to reduce sugar uh, rather than just someone just telling them to do that. Absolutely and you've included a lot a lot of detail in each chapter and there's a lot of information in there. Why have you structured the book in such a way? Well, the book is, is basically four parts. So it's got an introduction explaining who the book targets and uh, you know why there is a need to try and reduce the risk of chronic disease because it's now, you know, it's going to affect all of us. It's 90% of diseases, uh, 90% of deaths, sorry, are, are going to be caused by, you know, the common degenerative disease. And this book targets the lifestyle changes which would reduce the risk of those. Um, then it has um, sections on um, how the body works. As I've just said, my view is, and I've heard this from many patients, is they're more likely to change if they understand, in a sort of nutshell, without going into too much detail, understand how the biological changes in the body, the genes they're born with, how those are influenced by lifestyle, and how then those biological changes which have had those influences go on to cause disease. So it's a little bit heavy, the first section, but I think I've persuaded people to go, you know, to persevere with that because I regard it as like characters of a novel. It's describing the, the processes which will be referred to later on in the book. And I think that makes it different as well because, you know, it, it's actually important to understand what happens when you eat the wrong foods or do the wrong things or even do the right things. So the structure then goes on to mainly diet. So what foods to avoid and then what foods to embrace, uh, which I'm sure we can talk about more in a minute. Uh, and then there's a section more about lifestyle in general. So, you know, why is exercise good? what pathways exercise helps, when to exercise, how much to exercise, what foods you need to eat when you're exercising, what foods you need to avoid when you're exercising, and then um, how to avoid environmental toxins, inflammatory toxins or carcinogenic toxins, which might be in the household or in the environment. Uh, and then at the end, it goes through some quite specific diseases, such as how to reduce your blood pressure if it's excess, how to help weight control, how to reduce cholesterol, all of which will reduce the need for going on to medications for those conditions. 
Excellent. And having read the book, you summarise the chapters at the end, which really cemented it in my mind. So it made it much easier to follow and kind of assimilate the information rather than following a huge plan, which is very detailed and it's just overwhelming. You can kind of take it step by step by step, which I thought was very interesting and kind of a different approach to a lot of other books too. Yeah, so it's, it's, this is not a novel, which you can read from start to finish, although many people have, and mm-hmm. they've, uh, we've had fantastic feedback to say they couldn't put it down and all these things, which are lovely. But it is also aimed to dip in and out of. So if you're someone who uh, you know, recently diagnosed with a borderline high blood pressure or something, you can go straight to the blood pressure tab, uh, uh, chapter. You know, and not everyone wants to sort of read. I mean, it's quite a big book. It's 462 pages. And, you know, some people might not have that time to read the whole chapter. So that summary at the end, if you just want the instructions and you believe that those instructions are correct, you can just read the instructions if you want. Um, you know, for example, you know, have more celery, have, a, have more beetroot, uh, reduce the salt, etc. But if you're someone who wants a bit more background explanation of why these uh, foods work, you know, for example, just sticking to that chapter, you know, why does celery reduce blood pressure? Well, it's because of the nitrates and they cause dilation in the vessels. They reduce oxidative stress, improve gut health, all those things. You might be someone who's interested in that. But if you just want to know what to do, you just go to the summary at each chapter. Yeah, that was a really interesting approach. And something which um, came up was, I think it was under dietary toxins when you talk about hydrocyclic amines and these compounds which are created when you cook foods which was quite frightening at first but then you explain there's a lot of ways to avoid them Mm. different preparation methods and how to cook them etc so that was really empowering to me not knowing that information before and being able to change that and protect my health for the future yes i I think this you have to be realistic when you uh live your life Mm -hmm. um you know we can't uh you know there's an expression you know life you don't live longer it just feels longer (laughs) and if you like barbecues and you like meat um you know you're not going to be interested but when i speak to patients i i serve on a daily basis um you know they are willing to change uh, but they may only want to do uh, one or two little changes and hopefully the book will emphasize which changes are the most important for example uh, you've, you've you've mentioned barbecues well yes if you go and get a cheap sausage fry it to a crisp on a barbecue uh, and you wash that down with some white bread and maybe a sweet um, drink full of sugar you know you're doing you know everything wrong basically <laughs> and you know some most people don't even like that food if you say look why don't you get some higher quality meat marinate it for an hour in herbs and spices and the polyphenols in those spices will counterbalance the carcinogens produced in the meat when you cook it uh, have it with some salad which uh, provides roughage and vitamins and minerals and other things called polyphenols which are anti um, inflammatory anti-cancer and then instead of having a sugary drink have a you know glass of red wine or or even a you know a drink a drink without sugar in it so you know i'm, I'm not saying that you can make the barbecue worse in fact i'm i'm suggesting it actually would be better and more tastier uh, and it would be much much healthier so it's it's not about um, you know going off and having uh, quinoa and and you know rocket salad three times a day is about the foods we all enjoy making them tastier smell nicer look nicer and actually be healthier 
and top it off with a bit of red wine at the end. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think uh, people would need much convincing about that. So you're primarily a cancer doctor. Why have you included other conditions in the book? Um, well, as, as you know, I'm also a professor of sports and nutritional medicine in the mm-hmm. local university, so I'm involved in studies in those fields. And I very much believe that um, the two specialties could, could merge. I think what we learn from athletes and people interested in exercise and in nutrition in general should be more integrated into oncology because uh, a lot of cancers are, um, you know, have a lifestyle element. We think probably in the region about 50% of them could be avoided if you had a perfect lifestyle. But not only that, uh, your, how you choose to live your life can influence how you cope with the cancer treatments, the rate of progression of the cancer, and the risk of relapse. Um, so I think the two specialties should be one. Um, why I've included other diseases as well as cancer, that's mainly because um, they go hand in hand. If you reduce the risk of cancer, you probably reduce the risk of arthritis, dementia, diabetes, stroke, and all other things. So it's actually the same, similar advice. But on a day-to-day basis, a lot of the treatments we use in oncology now have moved into the biological setting. Uh, in fact, more than half the treatments uh, I and other oncologists use are things like monoclonal antibodies and tyrosine kinase inhibitors, or in other words, non-chemotherapy options. And they have a very strange uh, profile of toxicity and risks. And things like you know, blood pressure being raised, arthritis, fatigue, uh, pneumonitis, lung disease, uh, and, and even diabetes are now the side effects we're dealing with and these are the same degenerative conditions which i refer to in the book which affect the general population so on a day-to-day basis we're having to look at strategies to reduce the risk of getting those degenerative diseases uh, and in my view hopefully avoid going on to medications for them because then that leads to a whole cascade of other problems once you've started down that route um, so yeah, it's it's it's, it's uh, because I have an academic interest, but also I've got a daily need to try and help the patients who are now getting these conditions. Who do you see the book benefiting the most? I think it's got multiple readers, which I hopefully will get a benefit. So the book mainly targets people who might have been recently diagnosed with with uh, either cancer or high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Uh, it might be bought um, for someone uh, with those conditions, so a, a good Christmas present, for example. Um, or it could be people wanting to improve their sports performance. You know, you, like yourself, you're going out to do a marathon in a few weeks' time, so what can I do to eat to uh, help with muscle recovery and joint health? Or just someone who's who wants to avoid uh, the chronic diseases which are almost inevitably affecting humans as they get older. And of course, the earlier you start with these interventions, the better. Uh, and, you know, prevention is, is better than cure, as they say. You just mentioned me running a marathon. Mm. So I just ran it on the 4th of October, did the virtual London marathon. And um, I finished reading the exercise section of your book the day after. And surprisingly, unbeknownst to me, I did very little training for that marathon. And apparently jumping into a high intensity or a high amount of exercise without training and leading up to it 
it's not very good for you. So it was like you were telling me off after doing the <laughs> event. But that is something which I'll take on board and make sure I implement next time to make sure I train for these things. I wouldn't recommend anyone train for a marathon with two weeks notice, but <laughs> you know, I like the challenge, but maybe this is not serving me in the long term. Uh, yeah, so the section on exercise tries to look at you know what level of exercise is the best for your health, um, how to prepare for exercise, uh, particularly with uh, nutrition, and what uh, you know if if you fortunately age is on your side, Ben. I mean, you're 27 <laughs> and you actually look quite fit, but it is a problem if people are you know suddenly get an illness and they want to go out and they haven't prepared properly, they haven't. Uh, um, they haven't had uh, proper advice from personal trainers. Uh, um, we've had people I know, people who've gone out and, and fallen, you know, physically fallen over. They've lost their balance because they haven't done enough strength exercises mm -hmm. beforehand. People who don't eat uh, enough what we call polyphenols in their diet, which comes from herbs, um, colourful vegetables, um, uh, foods which are you know generally healthy because you need those to enhance the anti antioxidant enzymes because when you actually exercise uh, too much you produce uh, free radicals which could actually damage your dna so you do need to uh, have your antioxidant system you know adapted to cope with that um, so not everything is obviously beneficial and and you know to go out and, and exhaust yourself uh, is is probably harmful, and as you know, because you haven't been able to walk since. Um, <laughs> uh, but the same applies w w with cancer. You know, if if you really exert uh, too much, you can actually, you know, it could be it could be mildly carcinogenic at first. But of course, once you've adapted and you've done the right thing, it's it's it's, it's fantastically beneficial overall. So I don't want to pretend exercise is anything but overall highly beneficial to everyone yeah it's just these idiots who decide to do <laughs> long distance running without any training <laughs> well you you don't do it that often and you no. are young but um you know as you get older paradoxically um many people under 30 do exercise quite a lot in the uk but as you get towards 70 probably only 10 percent of the british population exercises to a level which they they should do in our our opinion which is in the region of about three hours a week of moderate intensity. And that's the group which gets most benefit actually from exercise. You know, they're more likely to keep their cells young, uh, reduce the risk of dementia, arthritis, reduce their cancer risk. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's not, not easy. The reason why it's, it's harder is, you know, they, they, it's, uh, they, they're more fatigued, they might have joint problems. Um, but, you know, there are ways, and we explain in the book, to try to sort of graduate it, do some perhaps balance and strength yeah. exercise before you go for a run. And you can gradually, you know, bit by bit, slowly increase your levels and then you will reap the benefits. So I really enjoyed reading about health, the chapter on healthy fats. Was there any other chapters in particular which you enjoyed writing about? Well, uh, actually, now you mentioned the fatty chapter, I enjoyed that probably one of the most, um, mainly because there's so many myths out there which you read about in health magazines. You know, people brand saturated fats as harmful and unsaturated fats as beneficial. But, you know, that's not actually true when you look at the data. Saturated fats in meat tend to be harmful, um, 
and um, saturated fats are present in many plants, such as coconut, and they, they're beneficial. In fact, fats are a very good slow-release energy source is what we should be eating rather than processed carbohydrates and sugar, which have this yo-yoing effect on the metabolism. Um, but fats in meat, if you have too many, um, they you know the way you cook meat, they can be um, converted into uh, carcinogens, for example, um, should be avoided. The other thing is to mention, you know, fats are generally very uh, calorific. So if you're struggling weight, of course, it's about reducing all the fat intake. Um, the other myth, of course, is between omega-3 and omega-6. And I've heard it countless times saying that omega-6 is pro-inflammatory and omega-3 is anti-inflammatory. Um, but, that, you know, again, that's not true. We need lots of omega-6. It uh, is the prim primary fat within the brain. Um, and um, if you, it, it's about, it's, and people say, oh, you should reduce your omega-6 content. No, it's, it's more the other way around. You should increase your omega-3 intake rather than reduce your omega-6 to get the right balance. Uh, so it's fascinating. You know, they're, they're, uh, they were previously regarded as the, uh, you know, over, over many years, even in gov government sort of propaganda, they were regarded as the enemy. But actually, I embrace them. I think they're probably one of the healthiest things we should uh, increase intake of. There are so many chapters in the book and so many topics. Which one did you learn more about whilst you were writing it? Uh, yes, I, I mean, the book took three years to write and I did learn a, an awful lot. I suppose the ones which stand out um, is chapter on phytochemicals and polyphenols. And as I've already mentioned, these are the natural chemicals within food, which give its color, its taste and its smell. And, you know, I already knew they were beneficial. We've, we've conducted randomized trials of supplements containing them and shown significant benefits in prostate cancer, for example. And we have a current trial using those foods uh, to try and protect against COVID. Um, so I've already started at a, a relatively high level of knowledge. But the more I looked into it, the more papers I read and the more I speak to people, the more fascinated we are. And we hear a lot in other books and, and um, in the media about you know, vitamins and minerals and fiber. We hear very little, um, certainly up until the last few years, very little about phytochemicals and polyphenols. I mean, they are amazing what they do to your body. They, they, they have um, over 180 biochemical changes happen when you, when you eat these foods. Uh, they reduce excess inflammation. They improve oxidative stress, so you don't get uh, you know, DNA damage, which ultimately leads to premature aging and many of the chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. uh, they improve gut health, so that improves gut integrity, so you're not leaking toxins into your bloodstream. And actually, uh, you know, the more you look into it, even things like type one diabetes, which is thought to be just, you know, we don't really know what it is. There's more evidence coming through now that. Uh, you know, that it could be related to a poor gut health because the body is trying to constantly fight these toxins and it's it's uh, triggering an immune reaction which not only tries to hit, hit the toxin but there's collateral damage so it's hitting your other organs and that's why uh, we know that diets rich in polyphenols and phytochemicals have a lower risk of all sorts of things, you know, arthritis, diabetes, dementia, improving mood. And, you know, every day I was learning something new on this. I mean, I think they're incredible uh, chemicals and they're all around us. We just need to tap into them. 
When you say they're all around us and there's such a variety, is there any ones which you would emphasize over others? Meaning, is there any ones which are much more powerful or health-promoting than other ones? Uh, yes, I mean, they, I mean, this is enormous subject. I mean, you could write a book, you know, a thousand <laughs> pages long just on polyphenols. Yes. Uh, but so, and, uh, you know, they're not all healthy. I mean, some of these plant chemicals can be actually poisonous. So, yes, yes of course. You, you have to be a little bit careful and you can... Um, you know, just because, say, for example, turmeric is 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 healthy, um, you know, how much should we take? You know, should we take it all all through the day? What type of turmeric? Uh, you know, from the evidence I've read, you 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 get a benefit at up to a certain amount. So it doesn't look like taking too much of one individual polyphenol, you're going to get more benefit. So it's all about diversifying the diet. So you get um, polyphenols within different foods, such as pomegranate tea. Uh, broccoli, turmeric, um, sage, some of which have um, estrogenic effects. So you have to be very careful you don't overdose on those, particularly in a supplement form. Mm -hmm. um, and there's synergy between uh, foods as well. So we know, for example, tea and pomegranate is quite a nice combination. They seem to enhance each other's beneficial effects. So taking, you know, a lot of pomegranate or a lot of turmeric doesn't seem to add to the benefits, but combining different foods will. And also when you combine foods, you have lower levels of each individual polyphenol. So you're less likely to get a toxic effect from one. Um, so, yeah, then we can we could go into this in, in, in enormous details. But, um, you know, I like, as I said in your previous podcast, I like to split them up into sort of estrogenic and non-estrogenic mm -hmm. ones, which health in, information, ones which might have a uh, anti-inflammatory effect. Uh, so diversifying the diet is, is really important. That's why, you know, it's a bit of a worry that our food sources, where we get our food from, is getting less and less as we have industrial farming over the years. Uh, so, you know, we only actually apparently get all our food from 10 food sources now, as 100 years ago it used to be hundreds. Yeah. So, um, you know, try to be more adventurous in your diet and try to look for different sources of food and try to spice it up and make it more colourful and taste nicer. I find it fascinating just how culinary doses of certain foods, like you said, um, are beneficial, but also have this almost synergistic effect on health. When if you have too much of one, maybe in a supplement form, obviously this is not all the case because supplements are just a huge um, spectrum, but it can actually have a um, net negative effect on your health. Yeah, a lot of patients ask me about supplements and, you know, I'm interested in finding out the truth as well. Uh, but, you know, a common mistake is to put supplements into one basket. I mean, there are thousands of different types of supplements. So, uh, and some are beneficial and some aren't. As a general rule, if you take a chemical out of a food and put it into a supplement, it's no longer food, it's a chemical. And those are the ones you should try to avoid. Classic vitamin A and vitamin E, lots of studies have been done on those. And actually, unless you happen to be deficient in those, which most of us aren't in the West, they cause more uh, harm. You know, they can increase risk of cancer. They can reduce the adaptive response to exercise. So actually, it will make exercise performance less, uh, will increase the risk of arthritis, etc. So I would not advise, uh, uh, advise those vitamins. Uh, but, you know, you can get whole foods, uh, such as the POMITES trial, where we got whole foods concentrated in a pill and, and saw a benefit. Um, 
people uh, there's a lot of interest with probiotics at the moment in a mm-hmm. way to enhance your probiotic bacteria particularly if you combine it with a prebiotic which is encourages the growth of those bacteria and we've known for a long time that those foods containing probiotic uh, bacteria are healthy such as kefir kimchi certain cheeses etc which i strongly encourage but we also know that there's ongoing studies suggesting previous and ongoing studies suggesting that certain probiotic supplements can add to our health benefits improve gut integrity etc and more relevant to the recent covid um, outbreak there are three ongoing studies including our own which is which are looking at probiotics to, to as a way to try and reduce excess inflammation in the body which is one of the problems with covid you get this excess inflammatory response um so you know i could go on and on and on the safe supplements seem to be vitamin d you'd have to take really high doses to cause toxicity and i would certainly advise that during the winter in the northern hemispheres uh, vitamin c is relatively safe unless you have intravenous or um you know very very high doses um there's a question with omega fats yeah we all tend to be deficient in omega-3 and 6 because we don't eat enough fish and seaweed etc but there's a big debate about whether you get the same benefit when you put it in a supplement and when you delve into it which i've done in the book a lot of the problems aren't actually the omega-3s is because they've added vitamin e as an antioxidant to stop it oxidizing so um you know when you push back on the well it's mainly two large papers from california which showed that the omega-3 supplements might cause cancer when you push back at those authors and say well did did those supplements actually have vitamin e the answer was yes so you have to read between the lines of these papers so Mm. uh, and you know there's a lot we still don't know so you know i'm not saying the book answers everything sometimes it just asks, asks another question but it hopefully gets you thinking about things and uh tries to tries to give you sound advice based on the available knowledge up to now well it certainly gets you thinking about things in a very different way one of the key elements which seems to be apparent or seems to come up quite frequently in the book is that obesity seems to underline or um, increase the progression of nearly every condition mentioned now i'm not saying there's one answer to the nationwide obesity problem or indeed global obesity problem in western societies i know it's multifactorial but from your opinion what's a good starting point yeah i mean a lot of people struggle with the with the weight in in western societies and um as you just mentioned it you know it can cause a, a whole host of problems then also the, the, it's not just about the weight it's actually about the muscle to, to fat ratio the worst thing you can be is a thing called sarcopenia where you're you're overweight but you have quite thin muscles the first step i would say is to try to increase your muscle mass which won't actually make you lose weight in fact you might even put on a bit of weight so resistant exercise is 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 very important because that will improve your well-being even if you still are over overweight a bit and you know it's not just a simple case of you know exercising more and and, and eating less uh, which some people say in their books uh, because if I give a man, um, you know, Zolodex or, or or a drug to reduce his testosterone, um, he will instantly put on weight, you know, and he will he will look you straight in the eyes. I have not eaten any more food. I'm doing the same exercise. So it is true that you know some people struggle with weight over others, and it can either be genetic or what sex you are. 
but there are other factors which are really interesting. For example, you know, gut health. We know that if you have a poor gut health, your body is in a state of stress. And in a state of stress through evolution, it wants to preserve calories. So the normal cycle of excreting cholesterol in your lower gut is reversed. So your body tries to absorb as much fat as it can because, you know, a million years ago, that would that would save your life if you then didn't have food for a few months. Um, so, you know, improving gut health can help you lose weight. We know that, you know, our, our good friends, the polyphenols, can help you lose weight. It, it reduces inflammation in your body, and the body can then get de-stressed and, and not try to store every single bit of uh, calorie we absorb. And also it's the education around food, uh, the chapter on sugar, which I really enjoyed writing, which, you know, there's a, there's a hundred sins of processed sugar, but one of them is it, it significantly increases weight gain. It's probably the biggest factor over fats, in my opinion, because you, you constantly have this cycle of feeling hungry and then satisfying yourself with sugar. The sugar feeds then the, the, the bad gut bacteria, which creates stress. Uh, it creates to insulin overload and, and all sorts of uh, horrible problems. Um, so if you want my three, you know, my three tips, it would be to increase resistance training, uh, increase exercise, particularly on an, an empty stomach, mm -hmm. uh, such as first thing in the morning or maybe before a late lunch to reduce processed sugar and to uh, improve your gut health. Now, in the book, you talk about from salads to olive oil sun cream. Have you managed to follow everything in this book to the letter? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> um, this book is um, a guide of what we should do, you know, as in a utopian society. We are not <laughs> going to achieve this in every person. But at least we know, you know, what to do to balance it. So if I've, you know, if I've gone out and uh, had too much sun on my body or drank a little bit too much uh, red wine at the weekend, you know, I want to pay my body back for the rest of the week. Um, you know, for and I, I, I like the writing the chapter on, on skin health because, you know, I'm, I'm, I like cycling, I like windsurfing, going out in the sun. So I probably had too much sun. So I want to know what I can do to reduce the, the risk. And, you know, these are underestimated. We know that a glass of red wine after sunbathing all day will improve DNA repair and uh, mitigate some of the damage to the DNA. We know that olive oil is a very good... Uh, it has... Um, polyphenols within olive oil which uh, help with uh, reduced oxidation in your skin and improved dna repair and there's been plenty of experiments to show that so therefore a good after sun would be an olive oil based cream which they exist or just put olive oil on your skin before you go into the shower also the risk of uh, concomitant carcinogens while you're sunbathing is very much underestimated so if you're going out and eating you know a burnt sausage in a barbecue while frying at the same time um or smoking frying, meaning frying in the sun absolutely <laughs> frying the sausage and your skin uh, but also you know smoking at the same time that's it's called a two-hit theory your body's often able to cope with one attack but it may not be able to cope with two but you know it certainly can't cope with three so um you know it's trying to say to people you can't avoid damaged your body but what can you do to pay it back you know what, what could be the balance and it's all about balance isn't it absolutely having read the book myself i can definitely say that it's worth a read and support the whole lifestyle medicine message so rob 
it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on again. You've already given us three tips plus plenty more, and I'm sure many listeners can get them from your book. Well, thank you, Ben. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I hope, hope you enjoy it. And if there's any feedback or any topics which people uh, feel should be included for the next edition, I'm willing to uh, learn from that. <laughs> I'm sure there will be. And I do hope that we can speak again soon. Thank you for listening to the Functional Health Podcast. You can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes. If you have a second, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or our website, and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for the editing and Alan Harper for his support. 